pray. Lord, we thank you that you endured the suffering of the cross for us. And that in you we have hope and life. We thank you for this night. And would you uh, encourage our hearts, Lord, knowing that you have gone ahead and taken our sins upon yourself. We ask this in your name. Amen. This year I wanted to just uh, meditate shortly on the seven last words of Jesus. It's really the seven last phrases of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Behold your son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The seven words of Jesus. The first is a prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And here Jesus is living out his own teaching about loving his enemies. And his very death is going to provide the basis for learning how to forgive. Not just our friends, but those who hurt us. Even those who sought to kill him can be forgiven through his death. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus died to save even the worst of us from our sins and from our death, to bring his forgiveness and his hope and his life. And so that first phrase this prayer reveals God's heart of compassion, even for his enemies. The second word's a promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Comes as a response to the thief on the cross who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's this plea, this confession of faith in a man's last moments. Paradise is another name for heaven. It's this place where God dwells is how we often think of it. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the same Greek word here to refer to the Garden of Eden back in Genesis. And so in a sense, when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, there's this hint of the promise of restoration to be in renewed relationship and fellowship with God again that we lost at the Garden. Today you'll be with me that same fellowship that existed in Eden before the fall. And Jesus is extending that invitation to relationship, to love, and to forgiveness to the thief on the cross, a convicted criminal who's receiving justice for his crime. And yet because of his faith in Jesus, God gives him a second chance, a new life. And so if the first word is a prayer of forgiveness for enemies... The second is a promise of salvation for the sinner. And the third reveals Jesus' provision, his heart of compassion for his mom. From the cross, Jesus looks down and sees his mother grieving, and scholars often believe that Joseph is probably passed away at this point, and so Mary is likely dependent on Jesus, and, 
and uh, his siblings, uh, her kids, and other family members for her own well-being. And Jesus, as is the custom, was likely supporting her in some way, and now he's dying, and what's going to become of her? And as she's sitting and standing there grieving, Jesus looks and sees John nearby. And in that moment, Jesus establishes a new relationship between the two. John is elected to go and become the caregiver for Jesus' mom. Jesus is not so absorbed in his own suffering that he doesn't care for the griefs and the sorrows of those around him. And it's a great responsibility for John, who just seemingly accepts this and brings her home and looks after her. And according to church history, Mary lived on with John at Jerusalem 11 more years before she passed away. And and some tradition holds that she went with John when he went to pastor the church in Ephesus. Either way, Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, is caring for his own mother, and he's extending the compassion of God to her. In those first three sayings, we see a prayer and a promise and then a a plan. To those who aren't looking for forgiveness, who have no sign of wanting to change, Jesus prays that the Father would forgive them. To those who only at the end of life realize their faults and decide, I want to change, Jesus promises salvation and welcomes them home. And to those who have walked alongside Jesus for years, who are family, Jesus provides for the future so they can rest assured that he has got them. This reveals something really crucial, I think, about the heart of God for us, that whether you're an enemy of God or whether you feel just recently are kind of grappling with who Jesus is or whether you've walked with him for years, wherever you are, in that spectrum, you're not forgotten. You are known and remembered by Jesus. And so in his prayer and in his promise and in his provision, we can see the heart of God for us, his forgiveness, his compassion, his salvation that's extended to people in their brokenness, in their need. And Jesus extends that same forgiveness and salvation and hope to every single one of us tonight. He is still extending forgiveness and salvation and compassion when we are in need, when we're far from God, when we're grappling with who he is, when we've been walking with him for years but are in a place of grief and sorrow, Jesus reaches out. He's there in our brokenness. The second two sayings really reveal the heart of suffering, the anguish that Jesus goes through for us. The fourth saying reveals this sort of rending pain of separation between the Father and the Son. My God, why have you forsaken me? Those are terrifying words if you think about it. The first thing to remember is that those are actually the exact first words of Psalm 22. And several other parts of Psalm 22 seem to happen in the story that we heard tonight, in the passion narrative 
they're quoted around Jesus' death, we actually also get that they pierced his hands and feet in Psalm 22, that they divide my garments among them in Psalm 22. And so Jesus knows that somehow Psalm 22 is prophetically speaking about him, and now he's living it out. He's embodying it. And he says those words, why have you forsaken me? Because they're real. They're real forsakenness that Jesus is going through. He really is bearing our sin and God's judgment for sin upon himself. The judgment of the Father is being poured out on the Son instead of upon us. And that means necessarily that there will be an element of abandonment that Jesus experiences. He gives himself over to suffer the weight of all the sin and judgment of the world. And we can't begin to really grasp the depth of that. It's worth remembering Jesus has chosen that, though. It doesn't come as a surprise to him. He knows it's coming, and he gives himself up to that. The, the why have you forsaken me isn't a question of, of wondering what's happening, but it expresses the depth of agony that he's going through. But it's also worth remembering if Jesus is embodying Psalm 22 in these final moments, well, Psalm 22 ends actually on this note of hope. That God has not despised the afflicted and he hears those who cry to him. And so Jesus is also living out that part of Psalm 22. As John Piper puts it, He's embedded in his soul both the horrors of the moment of abandonment and the joy that was set before him. Why have you forsaken me? And that fifth word is one that speaks to Jesus' deep personal physical pain. I thirst. That's the fulfillment of Psalm 69. For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus is saying this is part of God's plan set in place long before for the salvation of the world. And it points, it points to Jesus' humanity in the midst of all of this. If you've ever been at the bedside of someone who's passing away, perhaps in palliative care or uh, they're going through difficult circumstances near the end of life, it's not uncommon for nurses or loved ones to bring ice chips and maybe place a, a chip or two on the tongue of the one who's, who's suffering or sometimes there's a little sponge with water that's used to bring some sense of relief. There's, there's something about thirst when you are about to die. And Jesus is human. And here he's thirsting just like we do in those moments. But there's another meaning here too. At least three times Jesus has said that he's had a cup that he needs to drink. A cup that the Father has given him. And each time, including at the Last Supper, Jesus uses drinking as a metaphor of the suffering of the cross that's coming. And so when Jesus says, I thirst, could it be then it also is pointing to his willingness to drink the cup of suffering and sin right down to the bottom. 
to the very last dregs, and now right here near the end, the cup is empty. I thirst. And could it also be this, that we're reminded back to Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus tells her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me and I would give you living water that you would never thirst again. Or perhaps we're reminded of John 7, where Jesus tells the crowds, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Because Jesus is the very source of living water. But now that very source of water is himself thirsty at the cross. The one who gives abundant life and hope and grace is now pouring himself out fully for us as he takes death upon himself. And so in those fourth and fifth words, why have you forsaken me and I thirst, we see that personal suffering and anguish that Jesus went through as he bears judgment upon himself. And the final two statements really show the culmination, the purpose, the passion of the gospel. The sixth word, it is finished, of course, points us back to why Jesus came at all. The whole point of his incarnation, that he has a mission to do. There's something that needs to be done. He's come for a purpose. In Greek, the finished is in the perfect indicative passive of telos, which means to bring to completion. And so with those words, Jesus' mission is now fully accomplished. That word in Greek is actually equivalent, more or less, to a Hebrew word that would be spoken by the Jewish high priest when he would go in on the Day of Atonement to bring the sacrificial blood of the Lamb into the Holy of Holies, before the mercy seat of God, in the moment that blood touched the altar, atonement was made temporarily for the sins of the people for another year. And year after year that was done, bringing a sense of temporary forgiveness. But when Jesus hangs dying on the cross and says it is finished, he is himself the final great high priest, offering himself as the final sacrificial lamb. And in that moment, as he offers his blood, it becomes a permanent removal of the stain of sin and fulfills every instance of Old Testament sacrifice and symbol. It's finished. That work is done. The price is paid for my sin and for your sin. There's nothing more that needs to be done to cover my transgressions. It's finished. The debt's been forgiven. The wrath of God has been poured out and exhausted. It's over. And as Paul reminds us from 2 Corinthians, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. It's finished. It's finished. And now with his mission fulfilled, Jesus offers his human spirit to the Father. Normally, uh, when victims are suffering crucifixion, there's kind of a gradual ebbing away of life. It's quite a 
long, drawn-out, kind of gruesome way to die. But in the Bible, in all the accounts of Jesus' own crucifixion, Jesus willingly gives up his life. He willingly hands it over of his own accord. He gives his spirit over to the Father. And as we will all experience in death, unless the Lord comes before we are all to pass away, Jesus' body remains, but his spirit goes to the Father. But that's not the end of the story. And of course, we look forward to Sunday and Easter morning when Jesus' spirit would be clothed afresh in a new resurrection body. And that life, that promise of resurrection is for all of us as well. As we come to faith and believe in Jesus, we too shall rise to meet the Lord. And sin and death will be destroyed. And we will be in endless joy. For Christ is ours forevermore. And so the seven last words of Jesus. A prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. A promise, today you'll be with me in paradise. A provision, behold your son, behold your mother. A sense of pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even that sense of being parched, I thirst, I thirst, the end of his life. And then, purpose and passion, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And friends, in those words, we tonight remember and proclaim the forgiveness, the salvation, the compassion of God, the humanity of Jesus, his plan to come and bear our sins and take on the anguish and suffering, to die for us so that all who believe may be saved. And I'm going to invite us to respond to what Jesus has done for us. And let's pray together, keeping these seven words in mind, remembering what tonight is about, recognizing what he's done, responding to him, and living out the life that he's made possible for us. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight we thank you that you took the cross on for us, that in this moment we can see your care and love even for your enemies for people who are making a change in those final moments of life and, and, and the care you extend to those who have walked with you all through their lives. Lord, we also recognize the suffering and the pain that you went through for us and we're thankful. Lord, we thank you that it's finished, that we don't need to add anything to the suffering that you endured at the cross. It's not cross plus my works. It's not the cross of Jesus plus my somehow earning your favor, God. It's the cross of Jesus alone. As I respond by faith, it's your grace, Lord, that saves and cleanses and makes us whole. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. And so, Jesus, I just pray, if there are any who are here tonight who don't know you and who've never made that commitment to follow you, but something tonight has struck your heart and you want to respond to what Jesus has done, I invite you to pray, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer tonight just as our eyes are closed. And 
as we're waiting in this moment, we know that God's here with us. Or maybe you're here and you need to renew your commitment to Jesus. I'm going to lead us in this prayer, and you can just repeat these words in your heart. If you're listening online and maybe you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, I invite you to do that tonight. We say, Dear Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner, but I believe tonight you died for my sins. And right now I turn away from my sins and I open the door of my heart and I open my life to you and I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to be in relationship with you, God. Would you take my life and transform it? Would you cleanse me of my sins? I believe you died and rose again for me. And if that's you tonight, you've never prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, invite you to come and find me or to connect with a Christian somewhere that you know. Lord, we thank you for all that you've endured for us. And with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, go in peace tonight. May the love of Jesus that bore the cross for you bless and keep you both tonight and every night. Amen. Friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And bless you, and we will see you Sunday morning for the good news of his return. Amen. Bless you.